Well, well, well. You've decided to come back. Smart move. Since I am from the future, you don't want to know what happened to those who decided to skip this episode. On today's episode, we will see two great footballing minds come together and try to make sense of what the F is happening at Juventus. But before we start, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If our Instagram is good enough for Claudio, it's good enough for you. Are you saying you're better than Claudio? Info on the new merchandise drop is coming soon. Limited edition hoodies. But enough about business. You ready? Let's fucking go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Turin Giants podcast. We're so happy you have joined us. This is episode number 165. I could say of the longest running UV podcast in the world. That's right. Um, my name is Farhad. I'm the host that loves you most. And today we got a new lineup. We got a we got a Star Loney. No, Star Loney was was Sam. We have a, a a super sub, super sub. His name is Chris. Everyone on Twitter knows him as Inconvenient Truth at iTruth98. Please follow him. Um, Chris, what, sorry, how, how are you? What's going on? Oh, we're starting off with a story, too. Are you sure you're not Canadian? What's that? <laughs> are you sure you're not Canadian? We're starting off with a story. Sorry. Oh, my God. No. I mean, we got another we have another Canadian national on the team. Sam. Sam doesn't feel so lonely anymore. Of course, we'll talk more about Chris. I want to introduce my my OG homie, Mr. Giovanni. How are you, buddy? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well myself. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting episode because this is a, a, a new voice joining us. Chris will be on the podcast kind of peppered in he won't be on every episode he will be like i said a super sub today sam and and matt could not join us uh since they have lives and it's a saturday night and uh they don't want to talk uve on their weekend i guess but uh chris was was nice enough to join we will take questions from the audience because i know he's he's quite popular on twitter let me just tell you a little bit about him i've brought him up before but um he he provides he provides very smart takes on Twitter and people who do know Juve well they do respect this man's opinion and I wanted to get us to get him on our team as soon as possible just to just so I don't so so I go unnoticed with my ridiculous um, <laughs> uh, takes on stuff. So uh, Chris, welcome officially. We're so excited to have you. Thank you very much, Farhad. It's good to join you. It's good to join Gio. And um, I, I would, I can confidently say that you are probably the only, the only group that would be able to get me out of just the Twitter sphere and into doing something like this. I've been a fan of the podcast, so for that reason alone, I'm, I'm pleased to join you, and I'm happy to be a part of the team. I appreciate it, man. As far as I know, to join this podcast, you just have to say you like it. That's literally what happened with Giovanni. <laughs> we met at the pub. He said, hey, I like your podcast. I'm like, hey, you want to be a whole co-host? Let's go. So uh, that's that's your best. Uh, it's like when Ronaldinho was playing for, uh, oh, sorry, when uh, the original Ronaldo was playing for Barca and the president of Barca said, hey, as far as I think, the best 
best feature of him that he that he has is he plays for Barca. So as far as I know, you guys are the best because you are part of our podcast. Um, let's let's get to it, shall we? We have a lot of questions from the audience. And again, you know, thank you all for 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 responding to my, you know, bad signal to send in your questions. We have we have questions from the, the loyal listeners and we will shout them out as well. Um, there's something that I wanted to bring up before we get into the whole episode. It's, I probably should have uh, brought it up. Can you guys talk among amongst yourselves for a second? Let me just find something real quick. Sure. Fantastic start. I know. Okay. This is what editing's for. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, that's true. Well, well, I wanted to bring up a poll that I, I, I like to post these like polls on Twitter to see what the audience thinks about this or that topic. The hot topic a few days ago was uh, Ronaldo and Pogba swap. You know, Manchester United, Juventus doing a, uh, doing business together again. What do you guys think? Uh, the question was, so let's say Pogba and Ronaldo swap happens. Money aside, the like the economics of it aside, who gets the better deal out of the two clubs? Uh, unless you saw the results, can you guys tell me what you guys think? Who, who won and what the percentage was? I'll let a new guest go first for the honors. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, Gio. I'm perfectly okay with seeding to the veteran of the podcast, but that's perfectly fine with me. So, uh, Farhad, I did see the poll that you put up on uh. the UA podcast account. <laughs> I, I do my research a little bit, so I will say I that appreciate I it. And I, and, I, and, and I also said, can you guys look up, look over that thread? And clearly one of you guys did. <laughs> no, I looked at it too, because you asked for it, but you know me, I don't, when I see these polls on Twitter, I just, well, well let's say, it cause, yeah. all right. So, yeah. So let's say, so, so Juve came out the winner, 844 votes, 52% of people said that um, Juve would come out the winner, which is so strange, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about it a little more, but, but the disrespect that Ronaldo gets from, from fans of Juve is just so funny to me uh, because he's, no one's safe basically is what I'm trying to say. And there's, there's, you know, some, some replies are, you know, uh, this is a wash, really, because United needs a finisher and Juve need a midfielder. And then uh, Manchester United, no doubt. Ronnie breaks records left and right with pretty much no one of significant value, quality, or financially wise behind or alongside him. Uh, somebody else said, there's no way Juve gets away with this without offering 20 and $30 million on top. What do you guys think? Okay, well, if uh, if Geo is ceding to me, then I'll I'll jump in there first. Uh, I suppose that when it kind kind of comes to mind, excuse me, when I, I think about these sort of fantastical operations and how unlikely they already seem from the outset, the one thing that always comes back to me is um, who gets the better long term end of the deal, but of course, who also gets the better player. And so for me, it's a little bit unsurprising that um, the poll is generally close to 50-50 from that perspective. So I would say that um, if you were to ask me, the team getting the better player in the deal would be United in this case. So for me, I have a hard time leaning towards Juve in that sense. But um, for a team like United, who is pretty well built uh, from a midfield standpoint, with or without Pogba, having a, a luxury fourth midfielder like Donny van de Beek, it gives me a little bit more pause 
from a Juventus standpoint where we, we do kind of tend to lack a little bit of that scoring punch that Ronaldo obviously has provided since he arrived. But um, I, I think it's just really a matter of whether you perceive this deal as being better in the short term versus the long term. But I lean towards uh, to United just because I think Ronaldo is presently significantly a better player than Pogba is, despite the obvious quality that Pogba has and certainly what he can offer you moving forward past a 36-year-old Ronaldo. But you just can't marginalize or minimize Ronaldo's impact. He's a 30-plus goal scorer per season. And just as you sort of say, Farhad, you you really can't um, understate or overstate, excuse me, how impactful Ronaldo is and how he seems to be just sort of faded by a lot of the Juve fan base at the moment in some cases. Unfortunately, are you one of those people who who is still romanticizing Pogba and, you know, clearly remembering him by what he was? Or is he that good? It's just unfortunately he's on a team that doesn't, you know, doesn't let him show that because clearly he's winning with, you know, France. He's a world champion. What, What are your thoughts on bringing Pogba back, basically? Would you go for it? I'm not. Oh, I'm not against it if if that's uh, what the question is. But I think ultimately what it comes down to for me is to, I think we remember Pogba as being the player he was when he left. And it, it's it's not as if this is a year or two removed from it at this point. Pogba's a very different player now than he was then. He still has obviously the same um, incredible physical attributes. He's still just oozing with quality. And so from that standpoint, it's it's hard to say that he he's lacking in any way. Um, but I do think it's a fair question to ask uh, regarding how motivated he might be coming back, how hungry he might be. When he joined Juve in the first place, he was, he was a one-of-many type player, part of a team and midfield specifically that was much bigger than him, whereas upon re-arrival, he would be sort of the guy in that sense. Mm-hmm. He would be the guy he was when he left in 2016, and and he would reclaim his his spot as being the most influential player on the team, especially if it is at the expense of Ronaldo's departure. Yeah, I mean, I I guess if I had to chime in, I, I don't disagree with what Chris is saying. Um, you just have to take into consideration, you know, like, what, like look, look, I think this is one of those things that it's like, honestly, 50-50. You have to look at what the needs are for each team and then go on the motivations are for each player. If we had to do as objective of a swap as possible, today's Ronaldo versus, you know, swapped for uh, Manchester United's Pogba, Ronaldo has more value. But if we get back to Pogba that we had at Juventus because of our need in midfield uh, and you know, I, I think eventually like Juventus would get the value that they're seeking and they're getting also a younger player. Um, and, you know, while Ronaldo provides those guaranteed 30 to 35 goals a season minimum, the question is, will somebody else carry that? Will, will, will Juve have more of well, a different type of firepower with Ronaldo gone, but with, you know, the, the, the foundations of what would be a better midfield, right? But ultimately, right, like those, the, the, whole, the whole swap thing is just plain fantasy because you cannot extricate the financial part from the deal. 
in real life. So you have to like figure that out, you know, and, and whether it's you, you add more cash for the transfer or not, like it just, it just depends, honestly. I think to that point too, Gio, I, if I could add one thing to build on that too, is it's hard to sort of evaluate a deal like this, a fantastical operation like this in a vacuum without knowing, um, you know, what else is at play, be it uh, what's happening with Dybala, what is left over in attack essentially after Ronaldo leaves in this, in this sort of hypothetical situation. So we, we know what our needs are from a midfield standpoint, but at the same time, uh, creating a pretty significant void if Ronaldo were to leave in the process. So it's, it's pretty fantastical, but again, leaves me unsurprised that it really was a bit of a 50, 50 poll and looking back at it. Yeah. yeah Ultimately though, like kind of like just, just another consideration, like just aside from the poll, there's going to have to be, there has to be a day where Ronaldo is not on Juve. So th that's going to be a reality that the team is going to have to face in terms of that like massive gap that he's going to leave from a finishing standpoint and also that charisma and leadership, one can say. So we'll see. It's going to be an interesting next two, three years. For well, a, a, lot, a lot of Juve fans, from what I see, are really hoping to to land Holland, and I just don't see it happening because the interest from, from the richer clubs is just so intense. I just don't see how he, he would buckle to go into uh, Juve instead of like Man City, let's say, or something, or, or Real Madrid is pushing for it, for him hard as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that was the first question that Chris has ever received. Congratulations. This is the hello from Alessandro Belpiero, who I always forget to introduce. Here we go. Uh, so this is, um, yeah, this is interesting. This is one thing I forgot to bring up. If you guys, the listeners, if you guys want to let us know how you want to um, utilize Chris in the future, because like I said, he won't be on the podcast all the time. Uh, for sure, we will have him uh, when there's a, you know something big to discuss. But I do want him to kind of take over our Twitter account. And we are thinking of things to to do with with the audience. Uh, if you can do like Q and A's online on Twitter or or Instagram, by the way, follow us at Juve uh, Podcast, and we'll 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 incorporate like graphics and something eye grabbing for him to do, um, and and maybe write write out his tweets, but uh, you know make them a little more uh, aesthetically pleasing. So if, if any. Um, any graphic designers who want to work with uh, with with our podcast, please let us know. Uh, that just wanted to get that out of the way because this is sort of business. Also, speaking of business, I cannot uh, fail to mention the previous episode of the Turin Giants podcast and your guys' uh, response to uh, 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 Mina Rizuki, who who was a, an awesome guest who Giovanni missed, and I'm sure he he was he was pleasantly surprised he was you know he was tweeting he was messaging me throughout the whole episode while he was listening and um definitely bu definitely bummed out you missed that one Dude, huh, buddy yeah that's one of those things that like you think about it and you're like man like i know i have to do this work thing and there, there's no there's there's no way i could have joined there's, yeah there's if you guys literally no way in hell but it's one of those things when i look back i'm like man like i listen to this lady all the time mm -hmm. i like her takes like I like her train of talk and whatnot. And it was always 
you know, I've, I've always had a desire to have a chat with her over, over Juve. And so, you know, missing it sucked. But I appreciate you guys sharing my questions with her and which she took pretty much it, it all was, of them. So it was, it was like Great. you were there, buddy. And she said that she'll be back when you're when you're available as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was ridiculous. She's like ridiculously likable person. And she's a diehard Juve fan. Not just you can see that she's she's kind of geeked about it, you know? So uh, it, it was really fun. If you guys haven't listened, please go back to episode number 164. A couple of people messaged me like, dude, how did you, how did you manage that? I mean, honestly, I just, I just, you know, whoever's interesting, I drop a line. If they don't answer, they don't answer. That's how we got um, uh, Derek Ray, the, the world famous commentator. It was just like, he's such a sweet guy. He just agreed to come on the podcast. Please and thank sweet. yous go a long way. So. Yeah, I mean, just just be nice to those people. And, uh, Simple and, as that. All right, so uh, let's... Um, I, think you're under, I think you're underselling Farhad, the lure of the Juventus podcast, clearly. I appreciate it, man. No, I really, I really don't. I mean, there's so many out there. And, you know, I, I'm not going to deny, I know we're better than some of them. But, you know, there's a lot bigger podcasts. But I do pride ourselves in being like a little family podcast. And, and you know, there's there, there, we, we now have recurring listeners and recurring questions and kind of themes going on. And I really do appreciate all of you guys. This is for you. All right. So a question. No, please, from... I got to stop you there. I have to say, though, this is, uh, I think they're being a little too humble. The podcast is obviously transcending its, uh, its level at this point. And I think the episode, if, if I could even touch on it too, that you guys had totally. with Nina previously, uh, as someone who previously listens to the podcast as well, too, uh, I thought it was a great get. I think Mina is a fantastic guest. I think for most people who either lurk or, or follow on Twitter, a lot of what she speaks about, she's something of an encyclopedia of this current cycle of Juventus. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great that um, you could share with her the platform and allow her the opportunity to give her perspective on a lot of what we see now, because... I would say of the the many people on Twitter and a now pretty oversaturated Juventus Twitter uh, sphere, if we want to call it that, I, I think yeah. she's someone who has a very good objective opinion about a lot of what's happened over the past 10 years. So it was a great podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was totally fun and unexpected. And I mean, we honestly had so much fun. We, we, we kept looking at the because she had to go and it's like, oh, my God, please. <laughs> let's 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 go for a little little longer. Yeah, she was totally cool. And we will have her back. All right. Back to questions. Enough of this jibber jabber. So at Tamish guy, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. His question is his first name is just B letter B. So he's asking question. Um, oh, that's actually directed at Chris. Um, uh, regarding his Twitter account. You never criticize the management on your account. Are you Paratici running an anonymous account? <laughs> I love that question. Uh, I'm here to confirm live on air that I am not Paratici. Uh, tweeting from a burner account, I, I can assure you mm -hmm. that that's not me. And I can also go one step further and assure you that if, if that is the take of me and my, my outlook on things regarding events, I just want to be very clear that I think the people who feel that way about my takes on the club's management are probably not paying as close attention as some others might, because I think the best way I could possibly evaluate um, the way I view this club's management is that I feel like we're now entering a moment of mini crisis this season where it appears as though we may drop our first Scudetto in about 10 years. And I think it's very easy and convenient 
to call out the management for the decisions that led up to this season. And certainly some things are, are very worthy of criticism, but I would say the majority of things are not worthy of the criticism that many people levy towards the club, just for the simple fact that um, we've been winning for so long that the standard is now the standard and that we've, we've appeared as though we're going to sort of take a step back for a season um, I don't think that you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you don't neglect to look back and call upon the years that have led up to this point with so much winning, so many successful periods. Uh, fans don't destroy. care about that. We just want another one. What are you? <laughs> what are you? Some kind of a level-headed fan? What's going on here? Yeah, but we, want then, it, we want it now. Yeah, but then another you know, thing, it, though, is like, right, you have that like situation where fans say that and you... It's odd, right? Because you can't have, like, if you have a Juventus that's consistent, then they're going to complain that it's boring. And then when you make a change to go for a Juventus that it's a little bit more risque, but it will bring that excitement, and they're like, where's the consistency? Why are we not winning? It's like, man, what do you want? Like, what do you, what do you, this, like, is, what the, do you, this what is the fine line. Yeah. This is the fine line that we've been walking, Gio, for the past 10 years is the balance of, um, pragmatic football versus entertaining football versus, um, you know, results versus good performance. And so uh, for me, I think it just sort of speaks to the fact that, again, we've been going through a bit of a transition over these past three years that began in Allegri's final season and Ronaldo's first season with the club. So, um, no, I, I think it, I, I do think that there is plenty of opportunities to fairly criticize the management and the executive brass of the club, but I don't go overboard with it. And that's very fair to say. I just think that we, we need to take sort of a step back sometimes when we criticize the management, not go too far over that line in criticizing the club, because you know what, uh, while we can be criticizing a lot of the decisions that have led up to this point over the last couple of seasons, we've been winning through um, sort of reloads and rebuilds, many rebuilds, incremental rebuilds over the past couple off seasons. So uh, I just caution that we don't go a little bit too far in criticizing the club for the many, many good years that we've had over the past couple of seasons, especially of winning through, uh, you know, transitionary periods. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, and, and people really forget the, the impact, the negative impact of COVID. So if you think about it, like, again, I'll, I'll go back. I always go back to the economics of, of big clubs and running a club. They're, they're pretty much sports entertainment corporations. And what Juventus did in, in pivoting towards, you know, trying to become a more cosmopolitan global club rather than just, you know, huge in Italy and big in Europe is they fronted capital for Ronaldo and all, all that Ronaldo brought both on the field and off the field. And the way that everything was presented to us, at least, through the papers was that Juventus had this plan of leveraging merchandising and everything. And that kind of fell to the wayside once you shut down like one of the biggest sources of revenue for them, which, or, or I guess one of the biggest growing sources of revenue, which was the stadium. So all of a sudden you're, you're, you're faced with all these huge wages and it kind of, you know, limited what the management could do to provide that team to to support Ronaldo. Like you go get the licked, but then 
you know, your 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 purse is a little dry to go bring somebody else, right? So that's something to consider. No, I so think that's a great point. I, sorry, I just to add to the point, Farhad, I was just going to say, I think it's a very worthy point that Joe's making in the sense that when you sort of blow the wage scale of the club, which has been steadily ascending over the course of the past nine years as the team's improved and as we've been acquiring and amassing talent from not just uh, the domestic league that we we play in, but internationally, I think it, it sort of speaks to the fact that while we are not a rich, an oil-rich club, from that standpoint, it just sort of speaks to the fact that we now are becoming a club that needs to sort of, uh, you know, reset the table, rebuild the wage scale when we do transition to this post-Ronaldo future, whenever that happens, be it next year, two years, three years from now. So it's going to be an interesting transition. I think the club has started itself down a path um, to try and do that. But, uh, you know, again, it, it takes time. And while Ronaldo's on the roster, it's very difficult for people to buy into the idea of retooling, rebuilding, pivoting to a, a place where we can rely on younger players. So I think that's something that to answer this question and sort of tie a bow on it, it's something that I feel is, is very easy to sort of look at and, um, you know, minimize a little bit of the criticism that the club faces when clearly we, we seem to be trying to take a step back in a sense this year, not drop the title, but take a step back in the sense that we're looking towards younger players to be a little bit more influential in, uh, in, in the team as we go through this campaign. I also find it kind of funny that, kind of ironic, not, not really funny, but the fact that we sort of took Serie A by storm when we first, you know, the first Scudetto, and then we kind of build on it. But then along the way somewhere, we got, we got a little fat, we got a little too happy, and to see other teams kind of leapfrog us and now unfortunately it looks like Inter will be winning the Scudetto and you know whether you like it or not uh, the, you know the methods they used you know copying our system or whatever uh, it's still kind of ironic for me to see that um, we were left behind and uh, time to rebuild and I um, I am really looking forward to next season see, see what they can do see what uh, I think it's uh, uh, next season will be much more important than this one uh, nothing lasts on. forever yeah, totally. And, you know, back in, you know, in our first days as a podcast, first episodes, I always said, it sounds corny now, but it's just, it's so true that I always repeat it, never get used to winning. And I thought, you know, two, three years we might win, but nine years, you know, it, this, the cycle had to stop and I, I'll, I'll take nine years. You know what I mean? And nobody um, would have put a, nobody would have put a bet even with free money on nine years in a row. Nine years After is just insane. Two, seven places in a row. Nobody would Absolutely. have put money on that. Absolutely. And nobody, and I'll, I'll tell you this, nobody would have put money after Conte left. Because right, I remember that that August, it was like Juventus's world exploded, but yeah. it, it didn't. It just, we, thought it, we thought it was over. Yeah. All right. So question from Andar. I, I like Andar for two reasons is because he likes you, you know, Turin Giants podcast and his name's, his name rhymes with Zandar. And I just love uh, I just rewatched Gal- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy last night again. That's why I'm so I sound so tired. <laughs> I just went to sleep at like one. Ended up getting getting up at super early. Uh, but anyways, Andar, he's asking. Uh, Juventus has a lot of work to do this summer, from Paratici's contract to selling the loanees, uh, buying the players needed to possibly changing the coaching staff. If you are Andre Agnelli, what's your priority? Come on, boys. 
Let's hear it. Gio, feel free, please. Uh, all right. So, look, I um, I agree with one thing that, uh, that Chris said. Like, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you know, every big entity realizes that if something within their strategy, right, isn't working, you have to be able to stop, reassess what is what is wrong, understand where you want to go, and then set your work in that direction. That way, you know, you're putting the effort where it needs to go. Juventus need to understand what type of team they want to be. And, and you know, we may have started a rebuild phase, right, with uh, after the season with Allegri. But one thing that I still don't understand is what kind, what, what does Juventus want to do? Before I understood clearly what that strategy was, right? Transcend our, um, our success, like nationally, to, to become successful continentally. I just don't know now, right? Like, I'm, I'm, and it's not, that strategy has not really been clear to me. I understand they've been doing a lot of uh, work to get us, get the roster younger. So I think that's good. I think they should go still on that trend. However, they need to understand, okay, are we keeping Ronaldo? Yes. We know that his wages are so high that we can't keep him too, too long. Maybe we keep him the last year of his contract. Maybe we give him another year, right? So we've got two years with him. If that's what your decision is, then you need to plan to support Ronaldo in a way that you can maximize his presence. However, if you do that, if I, if I were the one making the decisions, I, I would put talented but young players around him so that if whatever reason he leaves, you're not having to kind of rebuild the rest of the team. Obviously, some roster choices have not been good, and we need to make some hard decisions and some hard cuts. But there is a team that has talent that I think can be built upon. So... You know, I like I, I'm not gonna get into like specific moves. We we're not gonna like like what I'm gonna say isn't really gonna make a difference to Paratic or Agnelli, but I think that that's that's the approach I would take generally. Uh we have Paratici on the line with us. We all know that's him. Um that, but I, I, I like to kind of add to that question because one of the jobs of you know uh getting the questions out there is there's a lot of repeats. So Let's just add to it. So AJ from Miami, we're, we're going to kind of, you know, continue the theme, but he also asks, would it be risky for you to sell both Ronaldo and Dybala or would give it a, um, it's a weirdly uh, worded question. He's asking, would it be risky for you to sell, to sell both Ronaldo and Dybala this summer? Would okay. that give us and a chance I, to rebuild? I think uh, going back to the initial question before we, break into the part two that AJ asked, I think it's important to keep in mind, keep top of mind, in fact, that we've now started ourselves down a path, uh, a very, in my mind, at least anyway, a pretty clear path towards, uh, and again, whether we, we proceed with Pirlo, whether whether we don't, whatever the case may be, I think it's, it's important to keep in mind that I feel like we've begun down a path where the club is now intent on building towards the future 
shifting away from the old core of players, the old block, um, as, as Chiellini phases into the, you know, sort of the latter years of his career, he's very much year to year at this point. Um, with these influential players that have been such important figures throughout the course of this cycle over the past nine, nine and a half, ten years, um, I think it's important that we continue along this path where in the Paratici era, we continue adding and acquiring players that are ascending talents, players that are entering the better stages of their career, not exiting them. And I think Ronaldo is an obvious exception in that regard because he is an exceptional talent, an exceptional player. Um, so I, I don't exactly hold him in contrast to what the overall plan is. But what I would say to that, though, is that I think um, as we enter this offseason, I think it's important that we all we, we're all seemingly on the same page and that the midfield requires a big upgrade, an overhaul of some sort. I don't think that every player we presently boast in the midfield is uh, dead wood, is someone who needs to go, but certainly a lot of players that can very easily be upgraded upon. So I would say to the first part of the question, it's very important that we secure those players as we have an attack, be it with Ronaldo, um, Morata, and in defense with players like Delict, Demiral. We build the midfield in the same sort of way and we prioritize it the way we have other phases of the team. So uh, for me, that's that's first things first. I think everybody who, who joins this club going forward will have to be of that type, type of profile. So the, the Locatelli profile, the Alwar profile, be it even the Pogba profile, players who are in their prime or not at the point where they're exiting their prime years. So, um, but to the next point, whether it's, it's, do we sell Ronaldo? Do we sell Dybala? Do we keep one or do we keep both? Um, I think these are important questions that uh, will, will sort of mark how we proceed this off season. Uh, but for me, if it were my decision and if it were feasible, I would certainly keep both. I think this is a very odd year in the sense that Dybala hasn't been able to prove his worth in an important year from a contractual standpoint. So it, it creates a lot of confusion as to how the club now proceeds um, in an effort to try and avoid wasting him as an asset as well, too, if he is to be sold. But certainly, I think we've seen Ronaldo and Dybala work. I don't think for anybody who who can look past this season alone, uh, anybody can really doubt that. We know that they work. We know that they play well and perform together. So for me, um, a healthy Dybala and a healthy Ronaldo is a very lethal combination. So I would personally proceed with both if it were at all possible. Yeah, yes, well, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, just the whole like you sell Ronaldo and sell Dybala thing is to rebuild. You're, you're taking an even It's to football risk. manager. Yeah, it's but even then you're like you're taking you think it's such a huge risk and take and and extricating two massive talents from the team. I've been quite critical of Dybala because the guy annoys annoys me so much because he's got the talent, but arriving at at the maturity that he has as a player right now, he's not he's not grown with the type of character that I think is needed to be to be a part of Juventus and to be a leader at Juventus. He's shown it, but he's not maintained it. So well since I um since I kind of threw a question towards Chris, there's also a question from at Juve in the USA. He's asking is Dybala worth more on the field than 40 to 50 million dollars or euros I should say. Uh, how much would we be able to get for him if we sell him this summer? 
Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's see okay. let's see what you what what Joe well, I guess about I that. can I can I can tie it up to what I was uh, what I was saying. Um, like I think when you look at when you look at the situation as objectively as possible, uh, if Juventus really wanted their intention was we're done with Dybala, that's it. They should have done everything in their power to sell him last summer because he was coming off the best. Uh, you know, one of the best, better seasons of his at Juve, and he was like elected the MVP of the Serie A. They're not, they're, they're not going to make that 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 same amount of money this year. So, from that standpoint, uh, as much as he's not added value to Juventus this season on the field, I do think that his his overall value is potentially more than what the forty or fifty. 50 million that he would get this summer. Um, so I would say, I would say renew, renew with the Bala, but with the understanding that if things don't work out, it's not, it's not going to be the end of the world for you to, you know, shit can him down the road and sell him. You know, it's, that's, that's the Nothing thing. Personal. But every, everybody's got to, everyone's got to be really conscious of, of the, of, of, the whole situation. Juventus, when they make that commitment, but also Dybala, that he's got to finally step it up. And and to a point that 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 Chris made, Juventus is trending towards a greener team, and and they're transitioning away from the old guard, Buffon, Chiellini. And I've been the, the one to always say, like, look, Chiellini, you've done great. You're a legend. You will always be a legend at the club. Go retire, because as much as these young guys have talent, they also need to be put with enough responsibility so that they can grow and push past their ceiling and, and really come into their own as leaders. I see Delict as a leader. I also see Dybala as a leader if he steps up. You know what I mean? I know. I, know pretty, pretty. I think... Sorry, Farhad. I was just going to say to the, to Gio's point too. Uh, one thing that I would just sort of add to that as well is, um, it, it's it's fair to sort of wonder where Dybala fits into this this picture moving forward. But the one thing I would just sort of add as well is, um, when we talk of what Dybala's value is, be it from a, an impact standpoint or or literally from a financial standpoint. I think Juventus and Dybala sort of need each other equally at this point in the sense that Dybala is coming off of sort of an enigmatic year from an availability standpoint where, where he just hasn't really played very much due to injury. And I think a lot of people mistakenly confuse his situation for being frozen out or not having any desire to play um, through difficult periods. We don't really know the full extent of his injury over the course of the season, but he's had his say on, on a fair amount of games over the course of the season as well, too. And he's, he's uh, also think, choked in a lot of games. Let's, you know, people seem to forget and, you know, no, no offense, but he he's, he's, he's let us down a lot as well. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like people forget that. But what's the context no, of it's it's worth adding, and I think again to this to that point too is over the course of this season when he's been inconsistent from an availability standpoint, it's hard to sort of develop any any you know sustained performances when you're unavailable for for long stretches of the season as well too. And even in the past when he has played forty plus games as he has the previous four or five years leading up to this one, there has been 
those sort of periods of erratic, uh, um, you know, performances where we're, we're just not really sure what his form will be at times. But I would still say that, uh, you know, coming off a season like this, it's just very important not to devalue him or, or sort of distract ourselves from, from what he's provided and many points. He's been the sort of the X factor that has elevated Juve past the levels that we've sort of realistically been uh, hoping to achieve at times too in, in the pre-Ronaldo era. And so for me, I, I think it's it's difficult for me to sort of confuse what we see this year for what we have seen in the past um, when, you know, it wasn't just poor performances all season. It, there's been good times. There's been bad times this season when he's performed. But ultimately, the real, uh, you know, the real linchpin to the evaluation of Dybala this season is he's been unavailable due to injury. And it's caused a lot of problems for him and how he perceive him moving forward. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, Chris is right. Because if you have like uh, Dybala in the rotation, right, I'm not, I'm not, Assuming he's gonna start, right? But if he's you know in the rotation and contributing, you you see a Juve that's that's gonna it's gonna reflect his his contribution. So you know, I I, I think we can't we can't grade him this year. I can't give him a grade. I, I'm I'm upset because I'm, it's a little bit strange that a guy that doesn't have a ton of like injury history uh, like history has something that was diagnosed as a three-week injury and it's been two and a half months. So I have some questions there. I'm not a doctor. I can't answer it. But if he feels pain, then, you know, it is what it is. But looking back at his entire tenure at Juventus, the only year where I really was like, you you sucked, right? You did not perform up to snuff was the year after, like, his breakout performance against Barcelona. Maybe it was because... Everybody put him in a pedestal higher than where he's supposed to be, but he showed that potential, so we were expecting more. So that was the year where he really kind of, to me, underperformed. But then the year after, when Ronaldo came, I think like his lukewarm performance there was due to the fact that I think he was playing out of position because Allegri didn't have a good enough midfield, right? But then we saw him pick it back up the year with Sadri. So you're, you're just seeing this up and down like performance overall in his career. I like ultimately I, I think I, I think there's more value in keeping him and seeing if if he blossoms back up again than there is in selling him. I uh, I heard a I heard a swap deal with and we'll just do like 10 second reactions on it because we have a couple more questions to go. Uh Harry Kane Swapped with with Dybala. Shut up, bro! Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> why 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 is Spurs doing it? Why is, <laughs> why is Spurs doing that deal? I I, I, I don't once, know. Like, once again, Harry Kane is a player who means more to Spurs probably than any other club. So to get proper value for a player like him, it'd be incredibly difficult, despite the immense quality that he has. And. Uh, you know, again, I, I'm not quite sure how Juventus actually evaluates Dybala's value to the club and from a financial standpoint. But I do not see Harry Kane leaving Spurs. I, I feel I also feel like Dybala, I love Dybala, but, you know, just seems a little overrated because he always says how much he loves Juve. He's always, and, and he does. 
but loving Juve doesn't make you a great player for for Juve. You know, I can I love we all love Juve, but we we would be we would not be on the field. And um, I feel like he's he's kind of has kind of has Juve fans under a spell a little bit. Uh, they're not really and seeing let's face it too, on the field performance. Forever. Farhad, let's face it. We we as Juventini have a little bit of a complex from a, a standpoint of players wanting to play for us. I think a lot of us who've been around for a long time remember back in the days when we would chase the Lewandowski's from Dortmund or Guero from Atletico, and and we would always be sort of shunned when we we sat down at the table to negotiate with these players. And so we're we're now at a place where even though we have we've grown so far past that. I think it's important to a lot of people that we are still, uh, you know, uh, securing players that, that don't use or consider Juventus as a stepping stone. And I think that's something that we all sort of struggle with, like most fans. But um, even 10 years removed from that, I still think we all sort of suffer from that a little bit, as most fans would. I don't know, man. You bring up, you bring up Aguero. He might be a starter for next year. Uh, you never know. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Gross. You like that transition? <laughs> lovely. No lovely. Way. Question from George. George sent in like three questions and we, we we wanted to do a condensed episode, just, you know, concentrate on on the biggest topics. And again, thank you all for you know, the, the listeners are slowly becoming the, the, the train of this show. So I, I really appreciate you guys, your guys's input. George is asking, sorry if I'm not going to ask uh, other questions, but his interesting question is how will the repercussions of the pandemic affect Syria in the long run? What do, you, what do you boys think? George? Look, oh, George. The, Giovanni? Look, Juventus, the Serie A has got big, had bigger problems than, than the pandemic. The Serie A is a problem of culture. That's, that's, what I, that's, that's the word I would use because it's stuck in the provincialism in the, of, of, of Italian culture whereby you cannot... You, you have a, what I think is a great product, yet you cannot maximize its value because you can't, you can't get 20 presidents to come to an agreement on how to maximize that value in a way that it benefits the most, right? You still have somebody like Lotito that carries way too much influence and power and wants to have a seat at the big table, but he doesn't realize that Lazio is not that type of club. Right. Ultimately, right. It, it, the, the clubs in Italy that have the most international appeal are, are clearly going to be more. They're going to gain more advantage. They're going to get a, sli- a bigger slice of the pie. But it's the, I feel like they're taking an approach of, uh, you know, um, what's the saying? Like where you cut your nose to spite your face. That's what they're doing. Right. And, and what mm-hmm. what's even worse is that as I said, like Caltropoli wasn't just a detrimental to Juventus because we were, the, we were the target of that investigation that sent us all the way down. They really wanted to obliterate the club. But ultimately, it destroyed the value of Serie A and they were never able to build on it. At a time when the Premier League was building itself up, the Bundesliga was building itself up, Spain was building itself and, up. And Italy we were, were world champions. All that, we were dealing with all that BS. And we were, we've not yet been able to get past that. How is it that the League One is getting more money per season 
than Serie A. Explain that to me. I don't get it. Mbappé. So to me, the problem yeah. is not. To me, the problem is is the lead, is the presidents and the fact that they cannot get out of their own way to build up the Serie A. That's the big. Was one of the biggest issues. Thank you, Joanne. Chris, what do you mm-hmm. think? Okay. Well, I, you know what? First of all, I like George a lot. He's, he's a very insightful Twitterer as well, too. So I think it's it's very like him to come forth with a pretty insightful question like that. But um, whereas Giovanni's question. Yeah, shout out to George. Um, so where Giovanni's sort of going in a little, like uh, more of a grassroots level from a from a, a, a cultural ownership standpoint, I think I take a little bit more of, of sort of a, a 10,000 feet look at the, the question too, where um, I think as we, we look at what the repercussions of the pandemic will be towards the league itself. I think the worst thing about it is also the best thing about it from the standpoint that everybody will be sort of dealing with it equally. And so I don't think it will be advantageous for any one or two or three clubs from that standpoint. I know a lot of the Provinciale teams will be dealing with it uh, maybe in a more significant way than I think a lot of the bigger clubs might, but from a Juventus standpoint, which obviously we focus on the most, I think um, the fact that we're about as sustainable as any Calcio club can possibly be in this current era, I think um, we've done well to sort of weather the storm and, and manage to, you know, find ways to satisfy the books in a way where we can actually keep or acquire top talent players like Ronaldo acquire players like Delict and, and sustain it to a place where we're not forced to sell these players. I think that's very encouraging for me when I, I sort of evaluate the difficulty from a financial standpoint that the past year has sort of caused for all these clubs. So um, I think the, the real repercussions are yet to, to be determined. I think we'll see how much longer this lasts. I suspect we will get back to a place where fans will be in the stadiums next season um, or at least a percentage of them. We've been seeing it all over the globe, but it's become more of an issue um, that, that countries are trying to rectify. So uh, I think that we'll be trending in the right direction by the time next season begins, and hopefully we'll be returning to normalcy. But it's good to know that, at least from a Juventus standpoint, there's been no rash financial moves um, to sort of uh, point to uh, as far as fallout goes from uh, this difficult period. But I do think that, you know, if, if this were to linger a little bit further into the future, we could start to see some clubs making some rash financial decisions. And fortunately, that has not yet been the case. Yeah, I think Juventus is the one that's built, best built to weather the storm more so than than I mean, them and probably some of like some unique clubs that are always in in the in the black with their books, like uh, Napoli, Sassuolo, Atalanta, these guys. I believe that they're uh, it's cash, also so they're fine. He- mm-hmm. You know, if if we want to talk about Calcio and and Serie A, it's just a shame because. You know, the, the, the money that was poured into these relatively soulless um, leagues, you know what I mean? Like EPL was, was you know, before the 90s, before, it, it had some kind of, you know, following. And Dude, no EPL disrespect was to, fun. Look, I, I, I understand, but, but, but take, take what my point is, take how the culture of Serie A and how passionate the fans are and compare it to other. I mean, if you pour in money into that league, 
And if you build the stadiums, if you provide the security, if you get rid of the racist fans, it can be a beautiful, like Serie A plus money. I feel like if it's, if it's fairly managed, it, it can be a beautiful thing. It, just look at, look at the well-built stadiums and, and the atmosphere that uh, the fans can provide. But unfortunately, it's not there. The, empty, the stadiums are empty. They're crap. Most of them. Uh, right, I just so feel like brought, you brought up four things. You brought up four key things that Damn, all of the other leagues counting. have, right? Yeah. And those things were built over decades, and with support, with everybody rowing in a unified direction, right? Absolutely. They're like the in England, you had a massive problem with hooliganism, and then there was a major issue with security in the stadiums. What happened? Government and the clubs decided to run the same direction and they poured in money into modern stadiums that were safer, but also on the fact that if you have trash at the stadiums, you can't sell a product well, right? The fact that, you know, Italy can't even like have the decency to say, okay, let's go, let's go copy somebody else that's been doing it well, right? They don't even, they, 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 like, I don't know what it is, right? Maybe they think they can do better from scratch, but just go copy what other leagues are doing. And believe me, no shame, no shame you'll get that. to the, you'll get to the, you'll get to that point, but they can't figure out, look at Fiorentina with poor Comiso trying to like build a stadium or Palotta that came to Roma and ran away from Roma because he couldn't build a stadium. This is like it's going to be a problem, and that's and right, and and, and that's why you see Agnelli is trying to do everything to escape from Serie A because he knows that he can't deal with some of these presidents. It, it's just I feel I feel like we should have Adam Digby on to talk about the the overall state of of culture. I feel like we haven't had him on the podcast just to name drop someone. Um, I feel like Adam would be a a great guest to discuss the the total you know, situation in Italian football, which is getting better, definitely getting better. But it's definitely getting better. If, if I could jump in for her too, the one thing I would add to that too, is that while the league, uh, the Liga itself operates on a very old, outdated and draconian level, I think we've definitely made some very important strides forward within the past four to five years in particular, I would say. And um, of course, I think most people are, are sickened by the idea when we start to say that Ronaldo's arrival helps Serie A as a whole. I think, yes, it's very fair to say that it primarily helps Juventus far more than it does the Liga itself. But, um, you know, the Liga itself is able to secure some very significant television deals that have been beneficial both in the present and will be in the future as well, too, as the league sort of scales itself back upwards. So, um, I think we've generated a lot of positive momentum over the past few seasons. Juventus's Champions League runs have been very helpful and beneficial in that sense. But um, we're, we're, we're taking some important strides that I think need to be st stated very clearly, too. And I think this also goes back to when the Liga um, put forth a significant financial investment towards adding Conte as the national team manager, whereas prior to that, I think there was sort of a, a bit more of an honor-based system where I think managers were expected to accept minimal pay packets in order to coach the national team. The cachet of being an Azzurri manager was the lure rather than um, the financial incentive 
incentives. So I think that was a, another step in the right direction, despite the old and outdated approach from the league itself, even back then. So it's a slow process. It's very slow moving, but I do think that we've seen some important steps forward in that regard as well. Excellent. Um, so last question. First of all, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you guys for jumping on again. Thank you all for listening. And uh, Patrick, our old friend Patrick, uh, also a Green Bay Packers fan. Shout out, let's go Pack Go. He's asking, kind of to wrap it up, I wanted to leave this question to be the last one. Uh, he's asking this summer, what direction would be the would the club management take that you'd be most proud of and why? Who wants to go first, boys? I could take this one, Gio. Uh, I'll Let's jump go. in first. I think it's very, very the crucial word to this question that Patrick asks is, is most proud of. And I think that's that's the, the word I sort of fixate on when I think about what we can be doing going forward and for the, the simple fact that um, Juventus's management, be it in the Marotta era or, or now the Paratici era, has been very bullish about operating the way it feels is best for the club moving forward. And now with the fan base largely, uh, you know, directing quite a bit of fire towards the club over the past six to eight months, calendar year, um, for me, I think it's really important that the club maintains its mode of operation the way it always has throughout the course of this cycle over the past nine, 10 years and just continue to work in the way that it knows is, is conducive to success. I think um, we make a lot of moves. We make a lot of sacrifices that we may not have in the earlier years as we're building the foundation of this club. But for me, um, it, it's not one move. It's not one purchase. It's not one sale in particular. It's the overall approach that we've now made this concerted effort moving into the future to try and be a club that is inclined to leverage young players, lean on young players to, you know, get us over the hump and, and build into the future towards a new cycle. So um, while it seems that it, it could be unclear at times what the club's mode of operation is, I think it's clear enough to me that um, we are building towards a future and trying to keep a new cycle open and again, not become um, Milan post 2011-2012, a team that just slips into obscurity um, because we've sort of tapped the well dry by the time we drop the title and, and are, are not sustainable from that standpoint. So for me, from a pride standpoint, it would be the club continuing to operate the way it has um, in a way that has led to us winning nine consecutive titles, something that will probably never be done in our lifetime again. So um, I would just like to see that the, the club continue operating from that that sort of standpoint. And I think that's precisely what will be done regardless of who the manager is or who is sold or who is purchased. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, ultimately, again, I might, might as well get, get it tattooed on me. Consistency is the secret sauce, right? Consistency is what brought us nine Scudettos in a row. And I think consistency in management and having, again, clarity of vision of what you want to do, which you know, we're seeing the trending towards, you know, rejuvenating the squad. I I think one thing, right, looking yeah, in the short term is you can't, you can't, you can't miss the Champions League. If you if you give, if you miss top four, then we're gonna have a a different podcast because it's gonna be, you know, where the outlook of Juventus will be completely different. 
right? So maintaining that top for the season, then taking, you know, asking Juventus management, asking themselves a hard question, like, what are we doing with the team? What are we doing with Ronaldo? And what are we doing with the coaching? And then, you know, at that point, based on the answers they give themselves, right, I'd like to see them invest in the midfield the way that I've seen them build up the defense with the acquisitions of uh, Delict and Demiral and uh, the offense with Kulusevski and Chiesa. Like, I want to see that being done in the midfield. That's not happened. It's not happened in a couple of years, so. I, I, you know, as a fan, obviously, which we are first and foremost, you know, it's, uh, we're just, we're just talking crap here. You know, you guys don't take us too seriously. We're not experts by any means. Uh, but as a fan, I'd like to have the atmosphere come back to the, to the stadium. I feel like it's such a huge part of the winning Juve, the support behind the team. And it shows, I guarantee you, if the stadiums were full, the results would have, would have been a lot better. And we had Maurizio from Around Turin Network uh, a couple of episodes ago, and he mentioned as well, you know, the the, the tensions between Curva uh, Sud and the management. If you guys want to hear more about the fans and the relationship between the management and the fans, go back and listen to to the episode with Maurizio. He's obviously part of Curva Sud. He knows a lot better than all of us. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that that should be resolved. Um, and clubs should compromise one way or another. Obviously, if it's not, um, if it's within the, you know, legal, whatever, you don't want to get caught up with any of that. But yeah, uh, I just want the atmosphere back at the stadium that I would be proud to turn on the TV and have, you know, have the the, the whole stadium screaming again, you know? Farhad, you know, I think you, you raise a very valid point, and that's something that I, I feel like a lot of people who have even tweeted at me recently have been saying a lot of the same. Um, I think it's very difficult to resolve that issue during a pandemic, of course, but I think that's yeah. one very crucial and integral point that moving forward the club has to address, and obviously there's nobody more equipped to speak to that than Maurizio, being as close to the club and the fan base as he is. Um but it, it is funny to me, sort of in hindsight, looking back, a lot of our problems and our, our worldly concerns as fans are all relative to where the club is presently. And I remember in the early days, at the beginning of this this unimaginable title run that we've been on, it, it was a matter of, can we transcend just the domestic success? Can we actually make a run in Champions League? Uh, can we acquire international talents? And now we're moving on to sort of big boy, big club um, concerns and ultimately, while again we can we can talk till we're blue in the face about whether or not the club is doing enough in these certain areas to address them, I think it just sort of speaks to the fact that we've grown significantly as a club over these ten years. And I personally am very pleased with where we are at the moment in terms of um, the, the status and the stature of the club and the sort of issues that we now have to contend with by being one of the big heavyweights in European football, like we weren't in the early Conte days where we were probably more functional, more fun, more ruthless, more this, more that. I think we're now at that plateau that we always sought to be a part of. And for me, this is very important that we've now sort of achieved that 
And now the club must do whatever it needs to do in order to keep us here. And that will be the ultimate task going into this offseason, I think. One last question. I, I know nothing. I just I always say that I'm I'm the I'm just the the, the decoration on this podcast. So explain to me. Um, I've never heard a Juve fan say anything bad about Nedved, and rightly so. Why all of a sudden his management style comes under fire? Can you guys explain? Um, obviously, some of it is, is reactionary, but do you guys think he's doing his job? Can you can I get a couple of couple of minute answers and then we'll we'll wrap it up? I just wanted to touch on Nedved since you know Paratici is Paratici is under so much fire and always mentioned. Nedved seems to kind of skate under, and um, I wanted to find out from you guys. Uh, what can what can he do better for the club? I'm going to take a sip of coffee. So, Gio, please, by all means. Ah, he threw, he threw <laughs> right. you under the bus. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. So, pardon me again. So, what 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 are you? What is Twitter asking, or what are you trying to find uh, out? Twitter is not. I'm I'm just trying to find out your opinion on Netvet. Okay. Um. So my opinion on Nedved as a player, you know, is I loved him. He was one of those. He was one of the greats. So I, I'll just go ahead and. and Has he that. overstayed um, his welcome as a as a as a director manager manager whatever? Um, no, or, I, or rather, I don't know because that would then be based on rumors, ultimately, or unverified sources that get printed that say that he was the one that wanted to push out Allegri and has been wanting to, uh, you know, as Mina said, maybe push Juventus in the direction of a Barcelona and stuff like that. So if I had to go with objective information is my answer is I don't know. That being That's said, totally if we, if, if we, if we're listening to, what what the informations are and uh, and Gazetta and the news and stuff like that, one might ask themselves, why were you so quick to dismiss Allegri and not objective enough to understand and see that maybe the team needed some fine tuning? Because Allegri was the guy that that took you on a run of Scudettos and finally got you over the European hurdle. So something good he must have done. Um, so that's, that's my question, right? Like I'm, I'm still trying to understand where, like kind of where that breakdown was, right? Yeah. What could he not provide that you felt somebody outside other than him could to get Juventus, you know, even a step further? I feel like That's there's a lesson. To, I feel like there's a lesson to learn here, boys and girls. I give I give Giovanni a bell because he answered the question with I don't know. Let me more. Let me do a little more research on it, and that's totally fine to do. Chris, what are your thoughts? Okay. On um, so I, I begin my I begin my answer by posing a question to the both of you. Do either of you, and mind you, I myself don't know the answer to this question, but do either of you have any specific clue as to what it is? the scope of Nedved's job is in relation to the others in the I can, management class. I can, I can it's send in you a proxy. If you read the I, Juve proxy, because he's part of the, he's a vice president. So like they have to legally disclose what he does. Right. But 
what he actually actually does you're right i have no idea <laughs> right. right well, that, well maybe that, maybe the listeners can help us out with that one too Right. But you know what? I'm, I'm saying it in a bit of a facetious way because there, there is no real answer in, in the sense that we don't really know what he does in terms of how influential he is in, in terms of buying players, mm-hmm. in terms of making bold um, overhead, overarching decisions in relation to the club. It's very hard to parse through the, the bits of information that we get from unsubstantiated reports as Gio alluded to in relation to what Nedved's job actually is. And so I think when we, we talk about some of the criticisms that Nedved personally faces uh, over the past few weeks, or even over the course of the season, outside of the few outbursts where we see him kicking side uh, signs on the sideline, following a poor result and, and answering a few questions post-match or making some declarative statements about the future of Pirlo or Ronaldo. I, I think it's, it's important that, I, we don't, we don't, we aren't quick to judge what he is and what his impact actually is in terms of the squad itself. I, for me, I feel like a lot of his criticism is really grasping at straws. Um, people wanting to see change, not knowing where the change needs to come from. And so um, when we sort of, we sort of, again, go through a lot of these bits of information that are, are, are leaked out in terms of um, decisions that we can attribute to Nedved versus others. Um, it, it's difficult to sort of lay any particular blame on Nedved specifically. Um, just the same way, it's just as difficult to lay a lot of the successes specifically on Nedved's feet. So um, I, I find it very difficult to sort of just, you know, say that he That's is a really interesting he is question. The face. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, he's I, the I, face I, of the issues. And uh, to the last point, I would say, Farhad is. Um, we're, we're seeing Trezeguet being promoted into a more of a sporting director role. And you see some very illogical um, takes that, that sort of lack rationale. I mean, we're already, I've already seen a few tweets calling for Trezeguet to replace Nedved, for example. And we don't know particularly what Nedved does. <laughs> Giovanni is so literally doing the bra do face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I I mean, know, it's, I, it's reached that point. And so I find it very difficult as we go through this to really say that he is the problem. I've heard people blaming Dybala's girlfriend because they spend too much time on TikTok. Yeah, here's how, look, here's how I always kind of like approach things, right? Like I'll put, I'll put management first because management ultimately is the decision makers, right? And when, if I have in my, and this is my personal hierarchy of blame, right? If, if I had to oversimplify it, the thing is, Management can make an adjustment. Then in the peg below is the players because they're professionals and right, you got to put them in, a, in, in the best uh, way to like maximize their performance, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately they're the ones that go on the field. And then to me, like is the coach at the bottom. So I get it. People want to, you know, find a scapegoat for these last few years of quote unquote slim pickings. And they're looking at, at Nedvin because he's just this obscure figure. I, I think people should ask themselves, like, okay, what are, like, what's, what's the plan going forward, right? It's been, like, as, as we've alluded and as Chris has brought up, I think we got spoiled. And now it's the year where, you know, we don't get that, that tent in a row. That's fine. That's fine. 
But what's gonna, what I'm really interested in is what are you gonna do to fix it? If you fix it in the summer and we go back to having that semblance of Juventus and you'll know, we'll know when we see it on TV. And I haven't seen it since the Inter game, Juve Inter or Inter Juve that we played with Sarri pre-COVID. That's where that's like where literally pre pre COVID. <laughs> that's what that's that's the last time I watched Juventus and I saw the Juventus that I've been seeing for the past ten years. And Let's therein lies what? the rub for me, Gio. I think you make a great point. Is that um, at the first sign of of real true difficulty where the results are now lacking, not just the performances. I don't think it's necessary that we now run. And, and abandon the management or the club itself that has, in my mind, deserved and earned the benefit of the doubt after nine consecutive years of winning, winning through um, coaching changes, winning through major player overhauls, major player sales as well. These are important things, and I think it's important not to abandon the club at the first sign of real true difficulty. True, true that. All right. Well, <laughs> that was excellent. Boys, this is for you. Thank you guys so much. I'm trying to overcompensate by 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 dinging in the bell a lot cuz I I seem to forget him in the drawer. Um Chris, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We will find uh something fun for you to do on Twitter. I I do want to involve more people on Twitter and uh you can be the voice of reason. Please guys, follow us at Juve Podcast. Follow Chris at iTruth98. That's the letter iTruth98. And at Geo Turian Giants on Twitter. Also, I want to shout out the latest episode of The Culture Podcast for Sam. Uh, please go take and listen to that. I think he released one uh, yesterday. They do discuss all of the culture, all of the Italian football. And it's very entertaining as, entertaining as well. Sam is an awesome host and a co-host here. Uh, boys, looking forward to more of these discussions. Hopefully, ho- hopefully a little more upbeat because of because we're winning. But if 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 we're not going to do podcasts when when Juve is not doing well, what, what's the point of doing them? We're just just about the winning, right? All right, absolutely. What are we going to be doing? <laughs> what are we going to be doing if we can't discuss wins? It's uh, it's not very fun to talk about losses or doing post mortem on difficult periods. Uh, we'll get there, man. We'll get there. one day. We will celebrate the, the Champions League win, and I will be lying face first in some kind of a fountain in a European city, just just drunk and and just be celebrating. I hope not, man. You got kids and a wife, so <laughs> man, you literally you 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 clearly don't know me. But anyways, thank you, boys. This was fun, Giovanni, Chris. Talk to you guys later, listeners. Thank Ciao. you so much, Forza Juve. Take it easy.